Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we come to the Scripture this morning. Father, as we open Your Word in these next moments, we come as people needy, needy to hear from You. That's really why we come. We, we need to meet with You, to be with You, to learn of You. I pray that Your Spirit would enlighten, illuminate Your Word so that we understand it, and so it goes to the core of our heart and changes us from the inside out that we might become more like our Lord Jesus. So to that extent, we commit ourselves. We ask Your grace and Your blessing. In Jesus' name, Amen. Open, if you would, to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Last week we were in Psalms as well. Actually, this whole summer. It's Psalms in the summer. Last week we were over in 81. And we noted last week at Psalm 81 that in the inscription at the beginning of the psalm, it has a little phrase that only shows up in three of the psalms. Psalm 8, Psalm 81 where we were last week, and as well here now in Psalm 84 where we are today. That little inscription is where it says, and you'll note at the beginning of the, of the psalm, it says, to or according to the giddeth. And we noted last week that many scholars think that the giddeth was an instrument, something rather like a guitar. And as a guitar player, I mentioned last week, I find myself drawn to these three psalms in particular. I just had to let you know that, in case you didn't know. This psalm has three verses. Now, you might look at it and say, well, there's actually 12 verses, Pastor, and you'd be right for if you're counting the little verse numbers there. But in terms of poetically, it is three verses or three stanzas to the song, three stanzas to the poem. And uh, we're going to begin verses 1 through 4. We've already read these verses together. We've heard them read. And I just want to look at the first verse or first stanza. And it begins with a longing, a longing for God's house. We read earlier this morning, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. The psalmist, the songwriter, the singer, he says, Lord, I love church. <laughs> I love your house. He has the temple in mind and he's saying not so much that your, your temple, your dwelling place is lovely, that it's beautiful, in other words, though it was, I w it was magnificent. It, it, even by our standards today, the temple would have been a magnificent place, but in, in this time it would have been, you know, just for us a huge treat to go see this awesome place, this temple. But his point here isn't really that it was lovely to look at. What he means is, the word means that it is, it is loved. This is a, this is a beloved place to me. It's a place I love and, and I want to be. We ask, why does he love the temple, the church so much? There's only one thing there that really attracts his affection, and it's because God is there. He says, your dwelling place. God's presence, you recall, physically dwelled there. In the Old Testament times, the, God's glory was physically present with the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. It was, His presence was there in the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And His glory was there at the tabernacle. And when the, when the temple was built, God's glory came and filled the temple and went into His glory was, was physically present in the Holy of Holies. 
It's not that God Himself was limited there, but His glory in some physical manifestation was there in the temple. And so the psalmist says, it's your dwelling place. And it's lovely, it's dear, it's precious to me because you are there. My soul, we read earlier, my soul longs, verse 2, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to living God. I long to be there. That, that word long has the, has a connotation, uh, then as it does now to us. It's, it's a deep desire. Matter of fact, the, the, it's the way you'd use it for your spouse, your loved one, your lover who's gone away. They're to a very distant place. You haven't seen them for a long time and you want to see them so badly. Your heart aches. You've been there. I just want to see them. That's what, that's what he's saying. I want to be there. I'm not there, but I wish I were. And it's just, my heart's hurting. Why does he want to be there? He says, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. That's why he wants to be there. I want to be there because I want to give praise to God. I want to give the praise to God that he deserves. And so I want to be there at the temple in his presence where I can just with all of my heart Say, God, I love you. You are awesome. You are worthy. I long to be there. I love church. I long to be there. He wants to be there so much he'd rather be there than, believe it or not, than Disneyland. He'd rather be there than Six Flags. He'd rather be there than be out on the lake boating. He'd rather be there than golfing or sleeping in or watching TV or even at the Cardinal game. That's how much he wants to be there. He doesn't want to be there because the architecture is beautiful, though it was. He doesn't want to be there because the pews are comfortable. They weren't. He doesn't want to be there because the priest is entertaining or there's a rabbi who's styling. He doesn't want to be there because they've got a hot new worship band and the worship leader really knows how to get down in the Giddus. <laughs> See, he's not focused on himself, on how he can somehow have a worship experience that brings him pleasure, that makes him feel good. The psalmist understands that worship is all about God, not about me. It's not about how I feel, it's about how I make God feel. I think... Sadly, that many folks today have confused worship with a personal experience. And worship is not about a personal experience. Worship is not about how we feel. It's about us expressing to God and giving Him the glory and the honor He deserves. I think that so many of us today often worship worship or we worship ourselves more than we worship God. The psalmist says, not only do I love church, not only do I long to be there, he says, I wish I could live there. Verses 3 and 4, he says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallows a nest for herself where she may lay her, her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. He says, the birds... 
The birds get to fly into the temple anytime they want, go anywhere they want, and they build their nests here and they build their nests there, even right up next to the altar. I wish I were a bird. I could just go wherever I wanted to the temple and build and just be there and be so close. Wouldn't that be awesome? Sometimes here at the chapel, we've had birds up in the eaves. Even they've gotten down into the walls. You hear them flapping around. We call them a nuisance. <laughs> but the psalmist says, I wish I were a bird. He says, verse 4, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. I wish I were a priest, is what he's saying in a nutshell. In that day and time, only the priest could live in the temple and... You could only be a priest if you were born a priest because only those who were of the line of Aaron could be the priests. And they had apartments in the temple where they could live as they served. And, and he says, I wish I were a priest because they get to live there all the time. They could be in the church nonstop and always singing your praise. I wish I could do that. Some of you are right now thinking, whoa, <laughs> this guy's got a problem. Why would I want to be like that? Well, Good for him, but not for me. Be in church all the time. What makes somebody feel like that? 37 years ago, my family and I moved from Dallas, Texas to Lake St. Louis, Missouri. We came here to be a part of this church. And and um, i got to tell you, it was hard leaving Dallas. We're Texans. Any of you know Texans? They don't take that lightly. You know, they say you can take a Texan out of Texas, but you can never take the Texas out of the Texan. You know, that, there's some truth in that. And, and there was always this longing in our hearts, you know, Dallas, go back home to Texas, be there. And it was, we began to wonder if we would ever feel at home in Missouri. Even though, honestly, St. Louis has better scenery to look at. If you've driven around Dallas, it's just kind of flat. Not a whole lot of stuff to look at. St. Louis has better history, a lot of historical stuff to look at, beautiful architecture, things, more things to see and do than there were in Dallas, even though it's not as big of a city. There were more of the arts. There was less heat, even though people in St. Louis never believed that, but it's true. There's less traffic. And yet, our hearts always longed for Dallas, Texas, back home. Why was that? Well, the real answer was simply it was about relationships. Back home was our moms and dads. Back home were our brothers and sisters. Back home were our uncles and aunts and cousins. They were all in Dallas. Back, back in Dallas were all the friends we went to high school with and hung out with in college. And that was our... And it was all about relationships and family. Over time, we grew relationships here. Over time, we grew our family here. <laughs> Over time, we had less there and more here. And we found ourselves never really desiring to go back to Texas. This is home. What's changed? Relationships. Though we still miss Texas barbecue, Tex-Mex, Brahms, Whataburger. Okay, I digress. <laughs> no desire to go back there to live, just to visit. 
Why does the psalmist love being in church so much? It's not about the buildings. It's not about experiences. It's the fact that the one he loves most is there. He wants to be there because God is there. It's personal. The psalmist has a relationship with God. He is my God. Notice the words he uses, a variety of them for God. They demonstrate his knowledge of and his appreciation for and his relationship with God. He says, he uses the word Lord. That's the word you guys know when it's all caps. It means Yahweh, the personal name for God. The name that God used to reveal Himself to His people. He says, He is Yahweh, He is Lord Almighty. Almighty is the word Sabaoth. It means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. He's the God who is Almighty, who protects us and watches out for us. He says He is the living God, the God who is alive and who is active in my life. He says He is my King. He is the God who is sovereign, the God who is in charge of everything, and the God who is in charge of my life. And He says, finally there in verse 4, He is my God. Very personal relationship, a deep relationship. He longs for the temple because God, His God, is there. You do know today, of course, God's presence doesn't dwell in a building like it did in that time. So, we don't come to church because God's presence is dwelling in this building like a temple. But the Bible does tell us that in this age, by the way, Jesus said the time is coming to the woman at the well there in John chapter 4. that He says the time is coming when it's not about whether you're going to worship on this mountain, Mount Sinai or that mountain. He says, but true worshipers are going to worship God in spirit and in truth. What happens is the Bible tells us that in this, in this time when, when a person is a believer in Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8, you can go look it up, Romans chapter 8, the Spirit of Christ comes to indwell, to live inside of every single believer in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ lives inside of each believer. And the reality is when, the, when believers get together, they, as, as believers who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God shows up in a unique way in the gathering of His people, the church. The church is not a building, the church is people. And whenever believers gather, there's a unique and special presence of Christ as He is there in His body. 1 Corinthians 13, the church is the body of Christ. That's why it's important that we show up. Hebrews chapter 10, let's not neglect the assembling of ourselves together. We need to be together because the Spirit of Christ who is in us, who is working in us, is busy. Ephesians chapter 2 says, building us into a temple a living temple where the Spirit of God dwells. It's important for us to gather as the body. And by the way, that's why I love being with the church on Sunday and any time we gather. I come up during in the, to this building lots of times when nobody's here and I like it, but it's so much better when we're with the body and with Jesus in a special way. I'd say, by the way, if you don't want to be in church, there's probably a problem in your relationship with God. 
Because if you love Him, you're going to want to be with Him. And there's a special thing that happens when His people get together. That's the longing in the first four verses. It moves on very quickly. I'm going to have to hurry up. But verses 5 through 7, the second verse, the second stanza of this psalm, and it's all about the journey. The first stanza, the first verse is all about longing, desiring to be in church, to be with God in His house. Next, it's all about the journey. He's on the way to going there. Psalm 84 is a pilgrim psalm. A number of the psalms are about about they're, they're called pilgrim songs and they were written for and about the journey of God's people to God's temple. You recall last week as we talked about, uh, about the feasts, that there were some of the feasts of Israel where the people re- were required to go to Jerusalem to worship. The Feast of Passover in the spring, later, 50 days later, the Feast of Pentecost. And then in the fall feast that we talked about last week, the Feast of Booths, where they as well were to go to Jerusalem to worship. And so as they would travel, they would sing these psalms, the, the pilgrim psalms, the pilgrim songs. Just as we do when we, when we travel today, if, you, if your radio's broken, if the, if the screens on the thing, you know, on the seats don't work, what are we gonna do? Somebody starts singing a song. Drive with junior kids to camp. And they sing all the way, and all the way home. And they sing on the way to the water park and all the way back. When you're in the car, what else are you going to do? And they sing silly songs and they sing loud! And again and again and again. It's fun to sing. It helps the time go faster. That's part of why they sang, but there's more than that. It was to learn. The Psalms are there to teach, to learn about God, to learn about the, the history of God working with His people. It's in the Psalms. And more than that, it was to prepare them, as to prepare their hearts as they go to Mount Zion, the, the mount where the temple was located. As they travel, it prepared their hearts, got them ready. May I say, by the way, sometimes some of you struggle, perhaps, in, in you, you, as we look at his attitude and we see, man, I just long to be there, I can't wait to be there. And we come and we, you know, we go, well, the church is kind of blah, but I don't want to say that in church, so I'll just, you know. We sometimes... Maybe what would help is just a little bit of preparation. See, the Jews understood that as they were going to, to Jerusalem. All of this time and all these songs were all about preparing their hearts. Maybe it's just get up just a, you know, five minutes extra early on Sunday morning to just take a little time to pray, to think, to, uh, to prepare your heart. And I think what you discover, the more time you take to prepare before you come, the more it will transform your time here. Just a, that's a freebie. This psalm, besides being about worshipers in the distant past going to the temple, going up to the temple to worship God, these pilgrimage, these songs were also about, they served as a picture and serve as a picture for for believers all through the millennia have looked back at these psalms and recognized that they're not only about that journey to Jerusalem, but it's a picture of our journey through life. You'll often hear in some of the old hymns about when they talk about we're going to Zion, the city of God, and it's a picture of heaven. 
And, and so the temple and, and the being with God in the temple is a picture of being with God in heaven. And it's a picture, and the journey there is a picture of the journey through life. And you'll see that in a lot of the old hymns because it's in a lot of the, it's the picture in the Psalms and it's been the way believers have looked at it. So as we look at this, these next verses, as we look at the journey, understand it's not just about these folks way back when going to the temple. It's about us going through life to our ultimate home one day in heaven with Christ. All right? So he says, blessed are those, verse 5, whose strength is in you, whose, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. The journey to Jerusalem could be difficult. You know, we have a really hard time appreciating that when we get in our little air-conditioned boxes and uh, we turn on the radio and we plug in the electronics and we sit back in nice cushy seats and we travel. we can travel a thousand miles in a day. We don't appreciate that in those days when you're walking on foot and you've got the kids and all the stuff and you've got grandma and you've got to walk and and it's going to take days if not weeks to get to Jerusalem, to get to the temple. It's a, it's a big deal. And the journey isn't easy. It can be in places it can be steep, in places it can be rough, and in places it can be tough. And he says here, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Those who look to God for strength. The journey was difficult there. And by the way, there's blessing here. He's saying there's blessing in those whose strength is in you. There's blessing in those who trust God for the strength for the journey. Now that was true in that literal journey. It's very true in our in its picture of our journey through life. There's blessing for those who look to God for the strength we need in this journey through life when we recognize our inadequacy in our inability and how much we need to be dependent upon Him. Not only that, there's blessing for those in the journey, it says, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. In other words, it's saying those who have committed in their hearts, they've made it their desire, they've made it their focus, they've made it their priority to follow God and get to be with Him, to worship Him. And so it is, there is blessing for those who passionately seek Him in this life as we make it our focus in life to follow Him and our aim is to be with Him in heaven one day and everything about this life is really focused there because that's our real home. Right now, as the old song said, we're just passing through. So there's blessing for those who look to God for the strength they need for the journey in life. There's blessing for those who keep Him as the focus as we keep moving through life. But understand this, along the way there's trouble, verse 6. There's a valley, verse 6. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs and the early rain also covers it with pool. There's a valley and archaeologists have looked all over trying to find where's the valley of Baca and they can't find a valley of Baca in Israel. But the word Baca means weeping. It's the valley of weeping. And really what it probably is, it's not a real place. It's a figurative place. Somewhere along the line, physically going to Jerusalem, to the temple, the journey is going to get tough. And in real life, in our journey to heaven, guaranteed along the line, the journey gets tough sometimes, doesn't it? There's places of weeping. There's places of trouble. There's places of difficulty. A couple of things I notice about this valley of weeping. He doesn't say if they go through it. He says as they go through it. 
There's no exceptions, no exemptions. Everybody sooner or later goes through the valley of difficulty, the valley of weeping. But notice he says, they make the valley a place of springs. Those who go through the difficult valley, it's a valley where it's parched and it's dry and it's tough. And he says somewhere along the line, somebody in their, in their difficult time, they start digging down and what they do, it's, it's barren and parched, but they dig down and they make a, a well, they make a spring. And not only does that refresh them as they get the water, but as they go on their way, the next person coming along through this parched, difficult valley comes along and finds a little spring there, a well. And they're refreshed. The point is that you and I, we're going to go through difficult times. And when we do, though, what God intends is that, is that as we go through them, that ultimately we become a blessing to others who come along after us. Because, you see, along with this, he says the early rain also covers it with pool. Not only does God refresh us so we can refresh others, but God Himself provides the early rain. That early rain means rain, rain that doesn't belong. It's out of season when it shouldn't be. You know, it's supposed to be the dry season. You're not supposed to have any rain coming down. But God in His grace sends rain when you need it and gets you through this valley of difficult times. God provides unexpected blessings. And so it is, brothers and sisters, in this journey through life, we're going to have difficult times in the valley of weeping. But understand that God will provide everything we need and that He, in getting us through this, is going to help us to be refreshment to others in the journey. Verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Another thing about this journey is that God finishes what He starts. God finishes what He starts. They go from strength to strength. Literally what that means is that God is moving us from a time of strength through difficult times, but then He does that to bring us to another place of strength. In other words, all the way along the journey, no matter how difficult things are, what God is doing is, is He's growing and maturing us. He's moving us to from one place of strength to where we are stronger. He's deepening our roots. He's growing our muscles. He's, he's, he's maturing us all along the way. But here's the promise. The promise is that each one appears before God in Zion. Brothers and sisters, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's the promise. Life in this world sometimes is going to be difficult. But God is using those for our good along the way to grow us. And the promise is ultimately one day every single one, every single one of us will be there with Him. He will not lose, as Jesus said, I will not lose one, not a single one. You are in My hand, My hand is in My Father's hand. No one can take you out of My hand. Isn't that a great promise? God finishes what He starts. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's a third thing about this. There's the longing for the temple. There's the journey to the temple. There's the rejoicing in God's presence. He finally makes it there. O Lord, our Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. The, the pilgrim got there. He's at the temple. And he said, he's looking and he's praying for God's blessing at this point on the king, the the uh, the one who is the protector and the one who is the anointed one. But it's a picture 
ultimately of the anointed one of God, Jesus Christ. It's a picture when we get to heaven, we're going to see Him face to face. And then he says, verse 10, verse many of us know well, because we've sung it in the chorus many times, better is one day in His presence. For a day in your courts, says verse 10, is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. There's nothing that's going to compare to being with Jesus. Better one day even today with Him in worship than than days doing anything else. But how much better ultimately when we get to heaven? Nothing else is going to measure up to that. Better be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to be a rich man dwelling in the big houses of the wicked, he says. In other words, it's better to be a nobody and be near God than to be the most rich, most famous person in the world. Jesus, of course, put it this way. What good does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It doesn't gain anything. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. So I wonder... Is this how you feel? Do you really have this same passion and desire to worship God and be with Him as this psalmist does? In your, really, in, honestly, in your mind, do you think that one day in fellowship with God is worth a thousand days of fishing, of boating, of being on the beach? If the answer is no, or I'm not sure, let me suggest a couple of things in the form of questions, really. The first question is this. Is this personal? Go back to what what makes the difference with this psalmist is that it's it's personal. He has a relationship with God. And I, I have to ask you this. If you don't feel that way about church, you don't feel that way about God, ask this question. Do you have a relationship with Him? The Bible is very clear. God wants a relationship with you. That's why Jesus came. God became man to die on the cross to pay for your sin. He offers to you a relationship with Him. He offers to you forgiveness of sin and eternal life. All of that simply by believing, by trusting in Jesus Christ. He invites you to do that today if you never had, even right where you sit, just to say, God, I want a relationship with You. I believe in Jesus Christ. Some of you, though, may say, well, I am trusting in Jesus as my Savior, but I tell you the the honest truth, I still don't feel that way about church. I don't have that kind of passion, that kind of desire for for relationship with God, for being in the presence of God, for, for the things of God. Let me suggest the next couple of verses help us understand a little bit about what fuels and what drives that kind of of passion in the psalmist and will help us see some of the things that as well maybe get in the way of that being in our own life. Verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Let me ask you this question. Are you trusting Him? You become a believer. You become God's child. We, we start a relationship with God by trusting in Jesus as our Savior. And that's true, but that's not what I mean here when I ask, are you trusting God? What I mean by that is, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are you trusting God 
every day, every hour of the day, every minute of the day. Because I'd say that's where the problem comes if you don't have that kind of passion. And let me see some of the things here that he helps us to understand what this trusting God looks like. Are you trusting God, he says, the Lord is our sun and shield. Are you trusting God as your security? Are you trusting Him alone as your sun, the wisdom, the light you need for how to live life? Are you trusting Him as your shield, your protector, the one who provides for you and and cares for you? Or are you trying to provide your own wisdom and your own light for life? Are you trying to provide your own security in your bank account, your job, your, your whatever it is, your relationships with people? Are you trying to take care of all that yourself? Because if you are, it's not going to work. And what it does is get in the way of your relationship trusting Him. Secondly, he says here, verse 11, he says, The Lord bestows favor and honor. And I ask, are you trusting God as your reward? And for your reward? Are you seeking recognition? Are you seeking acceptance? Are you seeking affirmation? Are you seeking approval? Are you seeking uh, all these things from people or are you seeking them from Christ? See, most of the time we slip in and so easily we slip into that thing where we're looking to get approval from people. We're looking to get praise from people. We're looking to get affirmation from people. We're looking for honor and things, favor from people. But it's the Lord who bestows those. All the honors, all the fame, all the riches of this world, they do not last and they do not satisfy. Scripture calls for us to live for an audience of one. From the Lord. Thirdly, he says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Read those words really carefully. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And I wonder, are you trusting God for every good thing? It's really easy to say, but it's really difficult to do. You realize that's what got us into trouble in the first place as humans. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. When Satan said, do you really, did God really say this? (laughs) And do you really think he has your best interest in his heart? Because I don't think he does thought about that. Did God say, really don't eat of this tree? Look how pretty. God's holding out on you. And how often we think that sometimes, don't we? God is a perfect Father. As good dads, even ones who fail so often, we understand good dads don't give us everything we want when we want it. Right? But good dads always give what is good. Well, human fathers fail. God doesn't. But I ask the question, do you really believe it? Or are you fighting God? Are you fighting God because you're just not sure that He really has your best interest at heart and you, you, he, you know He wants you to go that way, but you're going this way? Because I tell you, if you are, You're never going to experience this kind of joy and this kind of passion and this kind of longing if you're not trusting that, okay, if it's really good, He'll provide it. And if He hasn't provided it, it's just not the best thing right now. 
Therefore, he says, verse 12, last thing, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So it comes down to, if we really trust him, we're going to end up with this kind of passion. Let's pray. Father, we struggle with this. I struggle with this terribly. And if the pastor struggles, probably all of us do. In trusting you, it's, we so easily get our eyes on other things and we start doubting you. We start trusting our own feelings, our own desires. We start looking for approval and things from other people rather than you. We, we start thinking everything is up to us and looking to everything except trusting you. May we learn from this psalm. That if we'll live this way, it's transformative. It'll transform not only how we feel, but how we live. As we live in this journey, waiting for that day when finally we'll see you face to face and we'll understand it all. Lord, I pray that you would help us to put these things into practice. To learn of you and discover that It's sweeter every day. The more deeply, the more fully we trust You, the more more precious You become and the more joyful life becomes. For You are the great giver of joy. You are the great lover of our souls. You are our great friend. You are our perfect Father. So we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.